Have you ever taken on some projects to improve your life? Or maybe you've just thought about it. Maybe that improvement had to do with your finances. Maybe you thought, if only I had a little more money. And so you thought, well, there's maybe some things I can do on the side to earn some more money. Maybe I can get a job that's got a better rate of pay. Or maybe I can just do something with my investments and they'll bring in more. Or maybe the improvements that we have looked at have just dealt with those technology toys that we like to have. Maybe we've looked at ways to improve our our phone service and getting a better phone that does more things. Or, Or maybe we've looked at just upgrading our computer or getting faster internet speed. Maybe we've looked at some areas of improvement that just have to do with how we spend our money and things like Maybe we wish we had a car that had better gas mileage, or maybe we've learned to adjust our driving skills so that we get improved mileage. And then maybe we've looked at ways to improve our health or improve our relationships. Whatever it might be, I'm sure we've all been involved in some improvement projects. But have you ever thought about improving your faith? Now, you might say, well, well, yes, I mean, that's why I come to church, and that's good. And you might say, well, and I know I could do better, I could be better in praying, I could be better in reading my Bible, so yeah, there are some ways that I should be improving my faith. But when it comes to improving our faith, maybe we don't think about it like we do those projects or other areas of our life. Maybe we think it's just something that's going to kind of happen by itself. Maybe we think God is just going to work some magic and all of a sudden, one day I'll just be a more spiritual person and and have it all together. And exactly how does spiritual improvement look? One day when Jesus was teaching his disciples about faithfully forgiving others and being watchful of the times and serving humbly, the response of his disciples was a simple request. Lord, Increase our faith. So this month, as we're looking at faith builders and faith building, today let's just look at that simple request, increase your faith. In that group of disciples, there was a man named Peter. And it's interesting that in the first chapter of his second letter, he is advising us about increasing our faith. Let's listen to his advice. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, which I prefer the old NIV translation of brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, or mutual affection, Add on love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, Make every effort to confirm your calling and election.
For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So Peter is telling us to take on a a faith improvement project. And just like with any improvement project, you have to start with where you are. Evaluate what you have. Whether you're adding on to your house or talking about improving your financial situation or whatever it may be, exactly where are you? So when he urges us to add on to our faith, he starts by referring to that faith foundation. Last week we looked at this with the beginning verses of our letter. Let's just take a look at two of those verses to see again what this faith foundation is to which he tells us we need to add on. Peter started out saying, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. The key phrase that he's talking about there is that righteousness of God that's been given to us. What he's talking about is our relationship with God, where we stand with him. He refers to it as us having received the righteousness of God. Now, by righteousness, we mean this standard of moral perfection, that all of our thoughts and behaviors and desires are perfectly aligned with God's will. And you and I know that that is not us. Because when we look into God's law and examine our lives according to those standards, we see how we have fallen short. Like the Apostle Paul, we can say, yeah, I know those good things that I'm supposed to do, but I don't do it. And I know those bad things that I shouldn't do, but those are the things I keep on doing. What a miserable person I am. Who can save me? Well, Peter tells us we have been saved. Saved by grace. We have received the righteousness of God. We have been rescued because our sins separated us from God. Our sins put us under the condemnation of God's justice. But we've been saved. We've been rescued from that. Now how? You know, in the news a lot, we've been hearing about first responders, right? With the plane crash last week in San Francisco, the first responders were praised for their bravery, their courage, their skills to go in and rescue people. We hear of the the first responders on the fire lines, the men and women who put their lives on the line protecting communities from the fires. So we hear a lot about first responders. But we all have a spiritual first responder. And in fact, there is only one, one who could meet the qualification and do the work, and that's Jesus Christ. God's Son came into this world with His perfection, with His righteousness. He lived it perfectly for us, and God gives that to us through our faith in Him. And then Jesus put His own life on the line. Jesus laid down his life, putting himself under the wrath, under the punishment of God for our sins so that we'll never face it. His resurrection guarantees us 
that he has rescued us. For he says, as I live, so you too will live. That is our salvation. That's our firm foundation. That's something that God has simply given to us, Peter says, through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now when he says knowledge, he just doesn't mean through all this head information that you get, all these facts that you filled out in confirmation class or Bible information class or whatever it might be. He's referring to heart knowledge that we call faith. That trust in Jesus. That apprehension, that holding on to him, knowing that he is our lifeline. He's our first responder. He's our rescuer. Through him and through him alone, we have salvation. We won't follow what the world says. Just have faith. Have faith in whatever God you want. No, there's only one God who saves, Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know if you heard the good news this past week, but uh, Twinkies are making their comeback. <laughs> and, 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 you know, what's really exciting about it, too, they're going to have an extended shelf life now, too. <laughs> so if you thought they lasted forever before, just wait, right? Now, why do I say that? Well, you know, as, as much as some of us might get excited about Twinkies, uh, we still know that that's not really the best health food. You know, e- eating Twinkies isn't going to make me healthy. And certainly eating Twinkies isn't going to make me live forever, even though those things might last forever. It would be just as silly for me to believe that I could be healthy and live forever by eating Twinkies as it would for me to think that I can be healthy spiritually and live forever by what I do. By my character by my actions, by my kindness to others, that that will secure me a place in heaven. There's only one way that I'm saved, and that's through the work of Jesus Christ and trusting that. That's that firm foundation of salvation that Peter tells us we have, that we stand on, and now he urges us to add on to that. Now, why would you add on to that? Well, think if you were building a house and you had a nice, firm foundation. Would you be satisfied with that? (laughs) Where are the walls? Where are the doors? Where are the windows? Where's the AC? Where's the picture? Where's the TV? We want more. And so Peter is telling us there is more to your faith. You have a firm foundation to stand on. Now add on to that to make your faith beautiful and fully functional. And so what he does, he gives us a list of seven different qualities. We can simply call them Christian character. Let me run through them briefly. And as I do, I want you to ask yourself, do I see these things in my life? Are these areas perhaps where I need to do some faith improvement? Here's the list. He starts out with goodness. Now that word really meant excellence. And it meant to simply reflect what was already in you. For example, if, if we were to eat some fruit and we say, boy, that's, that's good fruit, we would naturally think that that's because it was a good tree. If, if you grow a garden and you have some good vegetables coming from that, you're thinking, yeah, that's because the soil is good. Well, what's in us? It's that righteousness of God that he has given us. Now, from that comes goodness. It's simply a reflection of the grace and the glory of God in how we live. And so now ask yourself, do I show that kind of goodness in my life? Am I reflecting the grace 
and goodness and glory of God to others by how I live? Or is that an area where I need to do some improving? He goes then to talk about knowledge. Now here he didn't just mean add more information about the Bible to your, to your head. The word knowledge here was really the word discernment. It means taking the information that you have and being able to make a decision about what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's bad. Now we do that kind of stuff all day long, don't we? When we have to decide about what we're going to eat. Should I eat that Twinkie or should I eat that apple? What we're going to do at work. Should I, should I do this or should I do that? Which is going to be better for this project that I'm working on? So we're used to making those kinds of decisions about what's right and what's wrong, what's good, what's better, what's best. Do that with your faith. And not only in the areas of your spiritual or moral life, but in every area of your life. Where does God's will fit in for you? What knowledge do you have? Well, you start with that basis of salvation and go on from there. What does God want me to do? How does he want to use me? Do you need to do some improving in that area of your life? Then he talks about self-control. From that knowledge of God's will comes self-control. It's simply control of our self, of our behavior, of our desires. It's really talking about a way of life. Discipline, we might call it, or a particular determined lifestyle. Think of how athletes have their particular self-control and and lifestyle, right? What they eat and what they do all week long is focused on making them the best they can be for their sport. God calls us to have self-control over the desires, the passions that are within us, and the pressures that we face from the outside, so that we won't be slaves to sin, but rather be servants of righteousness, of that righteousness that he has given us because Christ lives in us you need to do some improvement in self-control. Then he talks about perseverance. This is that characteristic that we could simply define as endurance under difficult times. Now that doesn't come because of a person personality character that you have. In other words, you don't say, hey, I grew up in, in New York, and you know, New Yorkers, we can handle anything. No. This is a perseverance that comes Because of the promises of God. Are you going through a difficult time right now? Do you need some strength? Go to God. Ask Him for it. He promises to be with you, and He will uphold you and strengthen you. And if you find that this journey, this difficult time you're going through, is kind of long, just understand that He hasn't left you. He's still there. He's holding you. He's got all things under his control. And what he's doing now is shaping you, refining you so you shine like gold. Grow in perseverance. Then he talks about godliness. That word simply meant showing reverence for God. Worshiping well. You know, we come here to church on Sundays and and we're worshiping God. Take that same attitude, that same focus when you leave. And live that way all life long. So that what you're doing is reflecting your love and and your honor for God. He talks about brotherly kindness. 
And I said I like that translation better than mutual affection because the brotherly kindness is really indicating to us, first of all, the relationship we have with other people. We are brothers and sisters in faith. And we share a lot of the same experiences. And because of that, we know how we can help each other out, how we can show kindness to one another. And the scriptures give us all sorts of encouragement. It says pray for one another, honor one another, respect one another, carry each other's burdens, forgive one another, be compassionate and kind towards one another. How are you doing in showing brotherly kindness to others? And finally, he tops off the list with love. This is the word, the word for love that was used to describe God's love for us. A love that was sacrificing. A love that would give up the very best because it was concerned about us. It's a love for the lost. A love for the unlovable. It's a love that moved Jesus to give up his life for us. Whereas brotherly kindness is maybe based on similarities we have, this kind of love overcomes any differences we have. Differences in looks and interests and cultures and backgrounds. And it shares the love, the unconditional love of God in Jesus. That's what Peter urges us to add on to that firm foundation of salvation. Now, how are you doing on that checklist? (laughs) Dave referred to his list before that he let go for five years in home improvement. How are you doing on this list of improving? Can you see areas where you are growing? You see some areas that need a little bit of fixing and some encouragement? I'm sure we all have areas where we can use some improvement. Well, let's remember what Peter said at the start of this list. Make every effort to add to your faith. I like the way one Bible translation put it. Don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given. Don't lose a minute. And isn't it true that we often lose more than a minute when it comes to this? We may think of these things as maybe not so important. We might just be satisfied with the fact, you know, I believe in Jesus and that's all that's needed and that's fine. And I'm going to live my, way, my life the way I want to now. Or maybe we think, you know, becoming such a, a refined Christian person, that'll happen over time. Later on when I'm older and mature, yeah, then I'll shine like that. Don't waste a minute. We might wonder, well, how do we grow? What do we have to do? Well, first of all, we need to give it some attention. Would you, in this summer heat, not water your plants? I doubt it. Because you know what will happen. They'll dry up and die. And so during this summer period, let's not neglect watering our faith either. Let's stay faithful in worship. Let's stay faithful in Bible study and in prayer. Let's let's get into God's grace so that we can grow. It's like a plant. How does a plant grow? You know, we see what's on the outside, up on the top, but maybe we need to look at what's going on underneath. That root system is growing. It's getting deeper and wider as it's bringing in the nutrients from the soil. And so you and I, we need to root ourselves into God's grace in his word and his sacrament so that our faith will increase so that we can have a beautiful faith, one that is fully functioning. 
That's what he urges us to do in being a faith builder. Increase your faith. Now, there are some advantages and disadvantages. In other words, Peter tells us, here are the pluses and here are the minuses. Here's what you're going to get if you do it, and here's what's going to happen if you don't. So let's start off by, first of all, looking at the disadvantages. He says, whoever does not have them, whoever is not increasing in these qualities, is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. First thing he warns us about is being nearsighted. Nearsighted means simply you can see what's near, what's close, what's up front. So often we live our lives that way, right? We're just looking at the here and the now. What's going on today? We're really not concerned about tomorrow. We're not concerned about what lies ahead in the future. And yet we should be. Because in the future there could be some changes coming up. Some troubles for which we need to be prepared. There might also be some wonderful triumphs that are going to come. But we need to know how to handle those triumphs properly too. So that they don't disrail us or distract us from the path that God has set us on. Being nearsighted also means we just look at our life now and forget what God has as a final goal for us. Did you notice that there's a little picture on the altar? Can you see where it is? Sure, it's little. It's supposed to be. Because I'm trying to demonstrate for you, there's a thing that we might say is way off for us in the future, and we really don't pay attention to it. But you know, it's only a heartbeat away. Now being near, nearsighted can also cause some blindness. He says people are blind. That is, they don't see what's going on around them. They don't see where they are. Maybe they don't recognize where they are in their relationship with God. And maybe they don't care. Maybe, maybe they don't see that they have fallen from his standard, that they have lost their way in life, and they need to be set back on a course that's right, that's in that relationship with him. Blindness can only lead to disaster, destruction, and harm. He finally says it could be as simple as you forgetting forgiveness. You get so caught up in all the things that are going on in life, good or bad, you forget how God has demonstrated his great love for you, that he sent his own son who gave up his very life to make you his, who shed his blood to make you clean to redeem you forever. We get so caught up, we forget that that's the greatest blessing we have from God. Thank God that He has opened our eyes to see that, so that we're not nearsighted or blind. We haven't forgotten that great blessing. And now, he says, just add on to that. And when you do, you will be blessed. So let's take a look at the advantages that he gives us, then, of increasing our faith. Here's what Peter wrote. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from becoming ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
So here's the advantages of increasing your faith. One, you will be effective in your faith. Now look, if you have a car and it doesn't work, is it doing you any good? If you have a computer that has crashed, is it doing you any good? It's just taking up space. If your faith is simply just a bunch of facts and not trust, not holding on to Jesus and being assured of his love that gives you hope, that gives you motivation, that gives you purpose in life, then you have a faith that's shrinking and shriveling up and will die. It's of no good to you. Increase your faith so it will be effective, purposeful, and functioning in your life. And that is, it will give you assurance. He said, make every effort to make your calling and election sure, to make sure you are standing firm on that foundation of salvation. Look, here's what you can be assured of that you're going to experience in life. Sin, doubt, pressures in life, and troubles. And Satan is going to use those things to twist you up and to confuse you, to shake you up and try to knock you off that firm foundation. So he says, make sure you make your calling and election sure. Make sure you know where you stand with God because of that righteousness of Jesus Christ. Make your calling and election sure. Make your faith beautiful and functional so that you will receive that rich welcome. That word he's using there, rich welcome, was a word that was used in in Greek times to describe the, the celebration that a town would put on when its winning Olympians would come back. A celebration that was sponsored by somebody else. You get the picture? We've won because of Jesus. And there's a huge celebration that's going to take place for us, paid for by Jesus. It's a rich welcome. When we enter heaven, we're going to be clothed with an unspotted, unwrinkled, righteous robe of Jesus. He's going to put on us a crown of eternal life. We'll hear the angel choir singing and rejoicing because another sinner has repented and come to heaven. And then we'll join our voices with the thousands upon thousands who will be praising our God. That's the rich welcome that awaits us. Right now, maybe it seems a little blurry. Maybe that picture and that goal for God seems like it's way off in the future. But as we are reminded of his forgiveness in Jesus as we know of the assurance of his promises for eternal life, as we open our eyes and see the blessings that he surrounds us with daily, that picture becomes more clear. We know what's ahead for us. We know the assurance and the promises that God has for a rich welcome. Pray, Lord, increase my faith. And make every effort to do it. And he will bless you. And you will rejoice in a rich welcome. Amen.